Chapter 21 of The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Andy Glover The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls By Elizabeth O'Neill Chapter 21 The Great Pope Hildebrand the greatest time in the Middle Ages was the 13th century, that is, the time between the years 1200 and 1300 AD. It was the time of great popes and great kings and saints. But for 200 years before this, people had been becoming more civilized, and times were changing. These changes took place in all the countries of Western Europe, but perhaps they are more easily noticed in England. In the year 1066, there happened in England a great thing, which helped to bring these changes about. This was the Norman Conquest, when the great William, Duke of Normandy, came over to England and had himself crowned King of England. Edward the Confessor, the last real English king, had been brought up in Normandy and loved the Norman people and the Norman ways. He was a very good man, a saint in fact, and had a very gentle face and a long white beard. He was a friend of Duke William of Normandy and promised that he should be king of England when Edward died. As he had not any children to reign after him, Duke William was a tall, dark man with a handsome but stern face and strong like a giant. When the news came to him that Edward of England was dead, he cried out, Then England is mine. But the English had chosen for their king an English earl named Harold. He was a short, fair man with a handsome face and smiling blue eyes. He had long, fair hair hanging in curls to his shoulders, for that was how the young Englishmen wore their hair at the time. They had sometimes beards too, but the Normans had short hair and shaven faces. When William heard that Harold had been chosen king of England, he was very angry and made up his mind to come and take England from him. He was especially angry because a short time before, Harold had been wrecked on the coast of Normandy, and William had made him promise to help him in making himself King of England. If he had not made this promise, William would not have let him go, so Harold promised. But he did not feel that he was bound to keep his promise, and now he had been chosen king himself. William got together a fleet and went over the sea to fight Harold. Harold was fighting another enemy in the north of England when he heard that William, with a great army of Norman soldiers, was at Hastings in the south. He at once marched south, and the great battle of Hastings was fought. Both sides fought splendidly, but the English were tired with their long march. At the end of the day, only the soldiers of Harold's guard were left fighting around him beside his standard, where he had set it up at the top of the hill. Then, at last, William told his foot soldiers to shoot high above the heads of the Englishmen, so that the arrows might strike their heads and faces. An arrow pierced Harold's eye, and he fell at the foot of his standard. He was killed immediately, and his friends with him, and so William won England for himself. He had the body of Harold put under a heap of stones on the cliff at Hastings, but it was afterwards taken away 
and buried by the priests of the Church of Holy Cross at Waltham, which Harold had built. For Harold was a good man and brave. The Norman Conquest of England William the Conqueror was a religious man too, and he made great changes in the church in England. The Archbishop of Canterbury Stigand had his church taken away from him, and a holy monk named Lefranc from the Abbey of Bee in Normandy was made archbishop instead. He was very strict and made all the priests in England live better and stricter lives. A great many Norman priests and monks came to England too, and did great good for the people. But there were other changes, which made the English people very unhappy. Nearly all the great English nobles were killed, and their lands were given to William's Norman friends. For two or three hundred years, all the rich people in England were Normans and spoke French. A great many French words, changed a little, were added to the English language. The Normans had much finer manners than the English, whom they looked down on. But after a time, the Normans began to mix with the English and learn their language. And in the end, the Norman settlers and the English they had conquered became one people. The Normans were much more civilized than the English, and they taught the English many things. They were great builders and built beautiful stone churches all over England, some of which remain to this day, for they were very strong as well as beautiful. One way of telling a Norman church from those built in the later Middle Ages is that the arches of the Norman churches were round, and later they were pointed. Great feudal castles, too, were built all over England, but William the Conqueror was one of the first kings in any country to keep the feudal lords in order. They dared not rebel against him, as the feudal lords in France and Germany were always rebelling against their kings, nor would he let them fight among themselves and disturb the people. William tried to rule the English people well, but he could be very cruel. When the English in the north of England rebelled against him, he marched against them and killed all the people and burned every house and destroyed every living thing, so that for years the whole country of Yorkshire was as bare as a desert. William the Conqueror, when he came to England, brought with him a banner, sent to him with his blessing, by the great Pope Gregory the Seventh, who is generally called Hildebrand, and was one of the best and greatest of all the popes. Since the days of Emperor Otto, there had been several popes. Sometimes the emperors had chosen them, and sometimes they had not taken any notice of them. But when Hildebrand became Pope in 1073, the Emperor Henry III had got much power over the popes. Hildebrand, who was a monk, was very anxious to make the church better, but he did not think it was right that even a good emperor should be more powerful than the pope. He thought, indeed, that the pope should be the head of all Christian countries and that kings and people should do what he told them. This was why he thought he had the right to take the kingdom of England from Harold and give it to William the Conqueror. But when William became king of England, although he was very good and helped the holy Lefranc to make the church better, he did not think he was bound to obey the pope in every way. But with the emperors who thought themselves greater than the popes, there were struggles for many years. 
The first great struggle between an emperor and a pope was between Hildebrand and the emperor Henry IV. Hildebrand was a little man and rather fat. He stammered when he spoke, and he had a rather dull face, except for his glittering eyes. He was not a great scholar, but he was a great ruler. His one idea was to make the world better, and he thought that only the Pope, as head of the church, could do this. All over Europe, the feudal lords were fighting one another, and kings and princes were often not much better. Hildebrand offended Henry IV when he said that bishops should not receive the ring or crozier, the crook which was always given to a bishop, from princes or nobles, but only from the Pope or somebody in his place. In those days, the bishops were really great nobles too, and received lands like the other great nobles. The kings thought that it was only right that, as the lands came from them, so should the ring and crozier, to show that the bishop owned the king as feudal lord. So, the emperor Henry IV was very angry when Hildebrand forbade this. Henry was a young man, tall and handsome. He had become king of Germany when he was only a boy, six years old. His father, Henry III, had died then. Henry III was one of the greatest of the emperors, and in his time, the different peoples who lived in Germany had been kept well in order, and the people of the north of Italy, which still belonged to the emperor also. But while Henry IV was a boy, disorder had come again. Henry belonged to the Swabian people in South Germany, and the Saxons of North Germany tried to break away from his rule. Henry was still having trouble with these people when the Pope gave his order about investiture, as the giving of the ring and crozier to the bishops was called. Henry sent an angry letter to the Pope, saying that he would not obey him in this, and telling him that he was no Pope but a false monk. Hildebrand then declared that Henry should no longer be emperor, and so war broke out between the two. But the Saxons again rose up against Henry, and the German nobles said that Henry must give in to the Pope. The Pope had excommunicated Henry too, which means that he said he could not belong to the church until he was forgiven. At last, Henry saw that he would have to ask pardon of the Pope. He was told that he must remain quietly at a place in Germany until absolution was sent by the Pope. Meanwhile, he was almost an outcast, with no honors shown to him as a king, and not even allowed to go to church. For many weeks he waited, and then could bear it no longer. He made up his mind to go over the Alps, although it was winter time and very cold, and beg pardon from the Pope. The Pope was at Canossa, and the story used to be told that outside the gate of the castle, there, Henry had to stand three days with bare feet in the snow, until at last the Pope forgave him. In any case, we know that Henry had to beg hard for forgiveness, and it was three days before the Pope would agree. Even then, he still said he had the right to take Henry's kingdom from him, and shortly afterwards, the messengers, whom the Pope had sent to Germany, did choose another king. Henry fought against the new king, Rudolf of Swabia, and got the bishops of Germany and Italy, who were friendly to him, to elect a new pope who was called Clement III. So now there were two popes and two emperors. Then Henry marched into Italy and into Rome, 
where Hildebrand shut himself up in the castle of St. Angelo, he sent for help to a great Norman prince, Robert Giscard, who had conquered the south of Italy and made it a kingdom for himself. The Saracens had to give in to him, and at last the Greek exarch of Ravenna had to give up that city. From this time, the eastern emperor had not even one city in the west. At the same time that Robert Giscard was winning South Italy, his younger brother Roger conquered Sicily and ruled it till he died in 1101. His little son Roger ruled after him, and when he had grown to be a man, and his cousin, the son of Robert Giscard, died, Roger II got South Italy too, and joined them together as one kingdom. Roger won more land still in South Italy, and among other places, he won the beautiful city of Naples. Later, his kingdom was called the Kingdom of Naples and Sicily. The Normans had always been very friendly to the Pope, and Robert Giscard went to Gregory's help. A Norman army marched to Rome, and instead of attacking, Henry burned the city and killed many of the people, and then marched away again. It was the third time in history that the great city had been attacked and burnt by enemies. But the Normans, who were of course Christians, did far more harm than the Gauls so long ago, or the heathen Goth Alaric. Hildebrand followed the Normans to Salerno, and there died soon afterwards. As he lay dying, he said, I have loved God and hated iniquity, therefore I die in exile. And it was true. Hildebrand only behaved as he did to Henry, because he was anxious to have good bishops, and so make the church better. But he did not understand that it would have been much better to try to do this in some other way, by helping the Cluniac monks and the other new orders of monks which were growing up. For good men everywhere were, like Hildebrand himself, anxious for a new time, when men should be better, and there would be an end of bloodshed and misery, and all priests and peoples and kings, and nobles too, should join together to lead good and peaceful lives. Hildebrand did not understand that the kings and princes of Europe would never agree to hold their kingdoms from him. He made a great mistake, but all the same, he was a very good and noble man, and one of the greatest of the popes. The popes who came after Hildebrand were good men too, and the work he had begun went on. They were not so fierce as Hildebrand, yet Henry IV was never forgiven. His eldest son, Conrad, was encouraged to rebel against him, and when Conrad died, his other son, Henry, did the same. He raised the Saxons in rebellion against his father and was called king by the Pope. Henry was growing old and tired. His life had been one long struggle. In his younger days, he had not lived a very good life, but he had grown better as he grew older. His sons and many other people thought that it was not wrong to rebel against him because he was excommunicated, and therefore an outcast. Henry had struggled against his elder son, but when the younger turned against him, he threw himself at his feet and begged that, at any rate, his sins should not be punished by his own child. He tried hard to get the Pope's forgiveness, but would not give up his kingdom. And so at last he died and was buried with his ancestors in the beautiful church at Liege, which he himself had built. But the Bishop of Spire ordered that his body should be taken up again 
and for five years it was kept in a chapel at Spire, and then at last buried in the cathedral there. But before Henry's death, great things had been happening in Europe, which showed, even more than his sad life did, the great power of the popes. End of chapter 21